0: I want to speak this morning about life seasons so just like in nature we move through the four seasons of spring and summer and autumn and winter our lives go through different seasons as we know and thinking about nature for a moment I'm always amazed at how the seasons change you'd have thought that by now uh, in my late 30s, I'd have come to terms with the fact that one follows the other. But there's something about when you stand there in the middle of a muddy English winter, you, you just can't possibly imagine summer coming. I, I work with fields a little bit, um, from time to time, and um, it's amazing how a field will change, it's how soft they get in this country in winter. You can't do anything with them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's a, there's a moment, sometime in April or May, depending on what the weather's been like, where all of a sudden you can drive across it and you don't sink. And there's, it's like that. And sometimes you can be in the middle of summer with glorious sunshine and everything is just so dried out, you can't possibly imagine it all turning back to sludgy mud and snow again. But it does, and it's like a miracle. And I actually still love watching those first buds appear on, on the trees. I love it! When you see the first little green shoot come out and you think, it's on again. It's all going to happen. Little by little, it's going to all come back out. And then you get that week at the end of May where the world is as green as it's ever going to be. Because all of the leaves have burst their bud and spring has come around again. And it is like a miracle. It's amazing. It's a bit like that with our lives. When we're in the middle of a season in our lives, it can feel like it's going to be like that forever. And a new season is never going to come around. That You can't possibly imagine what a new season could look like. Because when you're standing in the middle of it, whether it's a positive season or a negative season, it can feel like it's going to last forever. But it is like a law. All seasons pass one way or another. So just to get us thinking about life seasons. Um, and I, I, I probably won't describe your life season perfectly today. But you can kind of apply, hopefully, some of the things that I'm going to say today to your particular life season, wherever you're at right now, because it's a bit of a spectrum in the room. I'm not going to be able to speak to everybody. But thinking about life seasons, you know, thinking about like, when you're young, or, like if you're on a gap year or something. I mean, that's a wonderful season, isn't it? Just no responsibility. The world is your adventure playground. You're imagining what life might... Might bring and you're meeting some amazing people and it's just all hip and groovy. <laughs> <laughs> then you got the new job season. Oh, so it, whenever you're starting a new job, it takes everything you've got, doesn't it? There's something about that first year in a new job that is all-consuming. There's a season of falling in love, wonderful season of life, or developing some kind of new important relationship. Juggling a big job and marriage and kids and extra responsibilities and keeping up with the mortgage payments and mowing the lawn and all of that sort of stuff. That's another season. Uh, Maybe adjusting to retirement. Some people find that really easy, some people find that really difficult. And then there's the really hard seasons that come a season of unemployment, a serious failure in business or something like that, a season of illness or the breakdown of a close relationship, or the grief season after the death of a loved one. Some of these seasons, both the wonderful ones and the hard ones, have a powerful impact on us and test us in a whole load of different ways. And sometimes they come in twos and threes. It's not just one thing we're dealing with. Sometimes it seems to all come at once. Like the start of a new exciting job at the same time as having a period of sickness and then struggling with the grief with the death of a loved one all at once. It's a lot to process, isn't it? The problem that many of us have is working out what season we're in. Sometimes it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. And we don't always stop to think about it. Most people are just trying to get by and respond well to whatever comes. But the thing is, if you don't know what season you're in, it's really hard to know how to be. It's hard to hold yourself well with others, and it's hard to be fruitful and effective. More than that, if you don't know what season you're in, you can't embrace it fully, and therefore you can't find any real peace or contentment. Just think of a tree, completely different in all four seasons. Year on year, the cycle goes around and it seems to know what it, what's going on with it. And through the cycles, it grows and matures and it's kind of created to be content with that process. I don't know if a tree can actually be content, but do you see what I mean? It just follows the seasons one after another. We, on the other hand, have emotions to contend with. We can choose whether to embrace the season we're in or to be frustrated with it. We can choose whether to fight against it or to embrace it. We can intu- we can choose whether to feel good about it or to feel bad about it. Well, sometimes that's not a choice, it's just something that happens. But we have these emotions that come in and mess with our heads and with our spirits and with our hearts, depending on what is thrown at us in any given life season. If, for whatever reason, the life season we're in and see it as something which is an important part of our journey it's amazing how quick discontentment can sink in it's something that we all face at different times and it can be a horrible and life draining experience I actually think that, believe there's two kinds of discontentment there's the, the kind that is healthy and motivating and then there's the other kind that is unhealthy and demotivating a healthy discontentment could be something like my work is interesting it 's stimulating, and we 've had some good results, a measure of success, but there 's still so much to do there 's so much we want to accomplish we 're not all done we 're not done yet, and we 're not content to stop here and say didn 't we do well we won 't be content until we 've received achieved our full goal and that could be anything from curing cancer to developing. Uh, a new en- green energy source or to making sure that a loved one has a great end of life care package or a friend's life is rebuilt after drug rehab it can be anything it's a positive goal that we just we can't let go of we're, we're not going to slow up we're not going to uh, stick with the measure of success that we've got we want to see more we want to see that the best that can happen That's the kind of discontentment that gets you out of bed in the morning and motivates you to go for it, with whatever it is. Unhealthy discontentment is the kind that says, this is not the life I wanted. I never wanted to be where I am right now. I'm discontent with my job or my income or my family circumstances or my relationship status. You can fill in the blank. And what's more, I'm tired of being positive about it. That's unhealthy discontentment. Do you see the difference between positive and negative versions? Now, I don't want to oversimplify things. There can be many reasons why we can all fall into this negative discontentment. Expectations from our family of origin. Of how life should turn out. We can have unrealistic expectations of ourselves and what our life story should look like. It can be comparing our lives with others. It's always a dangerous thing to do. No one wants to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even want to know the Joneses. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointments over career progression. That can be a big one. All relationship success. Trauma or injury. Whether it's physical, psychological or emotional Trauma. That's left us with an inability to function to a previous capacity or potential. It can also be a chemical problem. Like clinical depression or anxiety. There are many different reasons why discontentment can creep in. And there are a host of different ways to treat it. But in my experience. One common reason why people struggle with a sense of discontentment. Is because of this life season thing. They simply haven't been able to properly process and embrace the life season they're in. Sometimes life seasons take us by surprise. And we struggle to adjust to our new circumstances. And we start feeling frustrated and looking for a way out. That's discontentment. So like a tree in winter, frustrated that there should be more leaves than this. When we're battling discontentment and maybe feeling bored or trapped or weighed down with responsibility, it can be easy to look back at a time when life was more exciting and carefree and feel, if only I could get back there. This kind of discontentment can be so powerful. This is the stuff that midlife crises are made of. People have walked out on marriages and children because of that kind of discontentment. If you've ever had a season of unemployment, When you're between jobs and you feel useless or worthless, it's easy to hark back to a time when you were excited about starting out in your career or you were neck deep in a project that you absolutely loved being part of and it can really make you feel worse to feel like you're on the scrap heap and undesirable without purpose or value and actually people have ended their lives over this one. These are powerful emotions. In case you're wondering, I'm not having a midlife crisis and trying to process it all with you. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you if I am, Um, but I'm quite happy at the moment. My aim this morning is knowing that each season of life presents a different set of challenges and opportunities. I want to help us all to think about the season we're in and to ask God to speak to us and to help us to embrace our season and to get the very best out of it. Does that sound good? Yeah. Every single season of life can be found in here. It Doesn't matter what you're facing, you, you can find your season of life reflected in these pages. There's uh, youth, coming of age, vocation, employment, parenting, mentoring, leadership, senior years, even dying well. There's singleness, marriage, Waiting times, adventure, lean times, and plenty. It's all in here. In the poetry, in the proverbs, but mainly in the stories. I just love that God has given us a collection of stories to navigate our life seasons by. There's something about when we hear other people's stories, when we Uh, see other people's lives and it's kind of played out in front of us that we can learn things we can gain fresh perspective we can understand where we are within our journey and that's what the Bible is is for it's about looking at it's it's a window into other people's lives it's looking at how God has dealt with different people in different contexts at different life seasons and seeing something of how to live well and how not to live well I love how Uh, open this book is as well, about how much people have messed up amongst God's people. It's wonderful. Some of the Bible characters went through some epic season changes. Think of Moses. Uh, Just going from being a hunted child to a, a, a treasured prince in the palace. And then uh, as a a fugitive, as a murderer, to becoming a humble desert shepherd. And then all of a sudden, in a conflict with the most powerful man in the world, to then becoming the leader of a nation in the middle of a wilderness. I mean, that's some pretty big life transitions right there there. Big seasons. Think of Elijah. This prophet that was largely living in obscurity for a while, and then asked to go and confront King Ahab, one of the most uh, bloodthirsty kings there was, I think. Um, telling him it's not going to rain. And then being in hiding as a fugitive uh, by the brook of Cherith for all that time. And then uh, living with a woman and her son, a widow and her son, for years, while this uh, Drought raged across the land. And then being asked to go back to see the king, having this huge, brilliant man of God confrontation on the summit of Mount Carmel, calling down fire from heaven, having all of the false prophets executed. God is exalted. He's had this incredible breakthrough. And then what? He's running for his life back as a fugitive again. And actually he didn't handle that change of season very well at all, did he? He got very depressed in that. Went from the highest mountaintop experience right down. And he's like, I've had enough of this. I can't do this anymore. God, would you take my life now? Got suicidal. And God had to meet him on the mountain and bring him back up. And then he was ready for his next season. His next season was about passing on his mantle. He said, okay, you can come home. God said, but you've got a few more things that you need to do first. I've got some jobs for you. Do those and then you can come home. You see how God deals with them. Some huge, quick transitions from one season of life to another. But I want to look at one of the shining examples of the Bible, of someone making the best of the seasons that come. Turn to Genesis and chapter 37. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph Let's read from verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father had loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Don't you just love the way that the Bible is full of functional families? (laughs) When he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down before mine. His brothers responded, So, you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think he will reign over us? And they hated him all the more, more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again he told his brothers about it. He's not learning very quickly, is he? No. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon and eleven stars all bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father as well as as his brothers, and his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what these dreams meant. Oh, there's one in every family, isn't there? (laughs) <laughs> so what was this season about for joseph this season was about joseph enjoying favor and dreaming dreams it says he was 17 at this point when you're 17 that's actually what you need to be getting on with and it? enjoying yeah. favor from your community enjoying favor from god and dreaming dreams asking god lord would you give me dreams about my Would you just show me some things that I can get involved with, get me excited about my life? You've got to choose who you tell those things to, because it can go wrong. But I think that is what being 17 is all about. I think that's a really great way to start life. Those of us who were lucky enough to have parents that loved us and affirmed us and were excited about who we were, occasionally surprised us with some nice things, that's a good start in life. Knowing that your dad and your mum love you and think the world of you and treasure you actually sets you up to succeed in your life. It's a wonderful thing. And actually being able to have some kind of inclination from God, some kind of positive dream for your life of what you'd love to do or what you'd love to be or for God to give you an impression about where he might take you is a wonderful thing. It can set you out on the right track. There's enough, if that's you and you're in that season I'm sort of moving over here now and, and, and you're, you're young and maybe having a gap year or whatever it's amazing, that's what you should be doing you should be knowing that you are absolutely loved by God and you are loved by your community and uh, God is going to give you dreams so careful what you dream about God may just bring it about in ways that you least expect. So, starting from this place of security and plenty, just know, see how fast Joseph's season changes. He gets sold by his brothers, within, and within weeks, he's gone from being the son of a prosperous family to a slave in a foreign land. Does he rage or sulk or plan his escape? No, he doesn't. Let's read from chapter 39. In verses 1 to 4. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the, Ishma- the Ishmaelite traders, he was per- purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So, this is Joseph about somewhere between 18 and 20 at this point had a strange ability to embrace this extreme change of circumstances and he got on with being the best slave that he could possibly be. Would I be able to do that? Would I be able to make that transition and manage it that well? I think it takes some real character to take that attitude. And it surely does take a deep trust in God and his sovereignty, that even in this horrible incident of being betrayed by your brothers, being sold into slavery and then bought by somebody and being a slave with no rights, that somehow God may still have a hand in that, that God may still be involved in that process. Joseph chose to believe that he wasn't in Potiphar's house by accident, but that God had a purpose for him there. Actually, Joseph's experience of being taken by force and then making a go of it is not that unusual. People throughout history have been forcibly removed from their homes, taken to a foreign land and had to make the best of it. History is littered with these stories of conquest and people taking people from one place to another. In fact, in the Middle Ages, that's how you got a bishop. You went and you took him. Often, you can read of people like Martin of Tours in France, they, they would get literally bundled into the back of a wagon, taken to another place and say, right, now you're going to be our bishop, and they had to just get on with it. It's not the way that we should do the things, I don't think, in, the, in any kind of denomination. But there's amazing stories about how these men of God and, these, and women of God throughout uh, history have been taken from one place to another and then chosen to embrace that as God's change, even though it was brutal, even though it was hard, even though... Uh, They wouldn't have chosen it themselves and they desperately miss home. Even in those circumstances, they are able to say, God is in this somehow and I'm going to see what good I can do in this new part of the world. It's amazing. People are trafficked all around the world today. And there are some phenomenal stories about how people have somehow found God in the process and then have been a tremendous blessing where they've ended up. They haven't just seen this as some great betrayal of life, but actually they have held on to God enough to have rebuilt their life in a positive way. And it's it's incredible when you see it. So perhaps the first thing we can take away with us today is no matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, you can choose to believe that God is with you wherever you are. That's a choice that we can make. And is still working, even, even though... It, it's confusing even though you may feel angry even though it may be a great injustice he's still working out his purposes in you wherever you are there is a choice we have an option to trust God we have an option to do our best wherever we are we have an option But we have to choose it. It's there if we want it. Let's pick up our story again in Genesis 39, verse 5. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. He didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Sounds good to have Joseph around. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around, and when he went in to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanded, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her, in, in her hand, and he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak, and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left this, his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. And he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. So, having embraced his circumstances and committed to Potiphar, his new master, he became successful, he prospered, until life threw him another curveball in the shape of Potiphar's wife. And he ended up in prison and labelled a rapist. That's quite an extreme season change. Another unfair and, untrag- and tragic twist in his story. At this point, surely we would understand if he gave up on life. Many many would forgive him for turning his back on God for how his life has turned out. What does Joseph do? He accepts where he has found himself. (laughs) He embraces this new season and he gets on with being the best prisoner he can be. Well, he chooses to believe that Even here, God knows where he is. He knows what he feels like. And even here in the dungeon, there might be some divine plan being worked out. I've got to admit, at this point, this man has my respect. It's an incredible way to see that scenario. And through this ability to surrender to God's purposes and be faithful whatever the season, once again, Joseph started to thrive. In verse 22, it says this, Uh, Before long, the, uh, the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners, and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries, because Joseph took care of everything, the Lord was with him, and caused everything he did to succeed. Wow. There's something deeply attractive about a person who is able to embrace life's hard circumstances and give their best anyway. Not because of what they get out of it, but because of who they are. People in authority spot this quality a mile away, and they find it irresistible. Potiphar first, now the prison warden, they see this quality on Joseph and they don't hesitate. They immediately promote him. And I think this is great careers advice. If you're an employer and you're looking to promote someone, to take responsibility for an important part of the organisation, and you're surrounded by discontented people who are only in it for the payday, and then you find someone who is not just competent but fully invested in their work, you will notice them immediately. And you'll put them first in line for promotion every time. A good employer will spot that quality a mile off. There is such a difference between these two kinds of employee. And to an employer, it's obvious. So you can't complain about your job and do the bare minimum and be looking for something else and expect to be given opportunities where you are. When the season you're in doesn't stimulate you to faithfulness and excellence, you have to look deeper. You have to give it your all because it's what you do, because it's who you are. You see, the angry... Bitter, demotivated, discontented man chained beside Joseph could have been what Joseph imagined he would become. But Joseph chose to think differently. He saw the prisoners around him chained to the walls. He saw the bitterness and the rage and the anger and the self-pity. And he said, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be remembered for having given up and let, and let my life pass me by. I'm going to do this with God and I'm going to be remembered for how I loved and lived in all circumstances. Incredible character of this man. God has not finished with any of us yet. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. He's not finished with any of us yet. I don't know where you are in your life but I can guarantee you he's not finished with us yet. There are some of you here this morning that you might feel like you're in your endless winter or that life has turned out a little bit like Joseph's at this point. But I want to prophesy to your spirit this morning. Springtime days are coming. Doesn't matter how deep the winter, springtime days are definitely coming. It's who he is, it's, who, it's what God does. And we can trust him. New life, new opportunity. New ways to move forward. New experiences. New people that God's going to bring into our lives. God has got so much up his sleep. It may not feel like it right now. It may feel like everything has got small and impossible and discontented. But there is life to come. The seasons will change. For Joseph in the rapist's prison... It turned out to be the back door to the throne room. How? He was so useful at running the prison he was asked to look after the king's cupbearer who was only in prison for a few days. Though he blessed the cupbearer and asked him to mention his imprisonment when he next saw the king, the cupbearer forgot and he was there for another two years in prison. I can imagine Joseph a few times just role-playing what he might say to the cupbearer when he finally got out (laughs) Two years it's so easy just to skip over that bit of the story, but that's a long time to be in prison And I think this is one of the hardest seasons of life the long wait When you really thought things must have changed by now We've already mentioned uh prolonged periods of waiting for employment but what about waiting for a life partner or, or spending years trying for a baby or an illness that you thought would be over quickly but after months it's still holding you back these are the kind of seasons that mess with your head they mess with your faith they mess with your heart and in these seasons it's as though life is on hold and you feel stuck and forgotten and If that's you right now, I want to encourage you, do you know what, spring's coming. Your springtime will come around. God hasn't forgotten you, God hasn't given up on you, He knows exactly where you are, and His plans to bless you have not changed. God already has dates in His diary when He'll lead you into the next season, and the season you're in right now may be longer than you thought possible, but it will not last forever. It's just a season, and it will pass like all those that have gone before it. Our job is to allow him to deepen our trust and be faithful wherever we are. To find joy in all circumstances, because we know that he who began a good work in us will continue it until the day of completion. Our job is to remember that nothing can pluck us out of the hand of God, that his love never fails, never wavers, he never looks the other way. He is faithful to us non-stop. And his plans are good always. Believe it and be encouraged. New days are coming. Finally, Joseph adjusted to perhaps the biggest season of change in history. From imprisonment on the sex offenders register to home secretary overnight. <laughs> I mean that's, that's a pretty big life season change isn't it? He managed Egypt's economy magnificently, so much so that surrounding nations came to Egypt because they were the only ones to have managed their resources effectively. How much could we do with Joseph in Westminster right now? I'd vote for him. It's a remarkable story. But here's what I want you to see. Most people would have been so messed up through the first two or three life seasons That they would not have been able to stand when the important life season came. If Joseph had chosen to sink into self pity and bitterness and resentment and distance from God and blaming everybody in the first few negative seasons of his life, he would not have been the man that God needed him to be in order to be the Home Secretary. Does that make sense? We need to let these harder seasons become training grounds for God's next opportunities. Our seasons can change slowly or incredibly quickly. Our job is to stay ready, like the faithful steward that Jesus talked about, staying faithful even when no one's looking. Finally, as Joseph had the opportunity to be with As soon as Joseph had the opportunity to be with his family, he jumped at it. (coughs) He found a way to live with them again. He didn't want to be the lone hero. He wanted to be the servant surrounded by family. We're not supposed to manage these huge life seasons on our own. This is why God has drawn us together as a church family. That we might encourage each other, that we might pray for one another through these Different and difficult seasons of our lives. So if you're here today and you're having a hard time, I want to encourage you to tell someone. It may be that they don't speak the exact right words straight away or it takes a time to work out your situation with them. But we're not supposed to do these things on our own. Find someone you trust and tell them. It may just be the difference between managing your present season well and just sinking on your own. We have to go together. So, to help us take something away from this, I'm going to play a piece of music. And I'm going to give us some time to consider some questions. And the first question is this. How would I describe the season I'm in at the moment? What are my key circumstances and responsibilities? Let's get a grip on where we are right now in the season we're in. Secondly, how do I feel about it? Do I believe that God is with me right where I am in my life? And how can I embrace the season I'm in a little more and be faithful to God in it? Let's take a bit of time just to look over our lives with the Lord.